to Luke, uh, the 12th chapter, and uh, I'd like to minister for a few minutes this morning from the Word of the Lord. Very little doubt uh, this morning that you and I are in the closing scenarios of planet Earth as we know it. Uh, almost all Bible scholars that are of uh, fundamental interpretation interpret the times in which we live as being the closing scenarios of planet Earth as we know it. And uh, at that point and at that period, as we view experientially and, uh, and in reality uh, the many opportunities that we have, we live in an age of unprecedented opportunity on every hand. I believe it was Brother Baker that, that, uh, mentioned, that ministered a couple of weeks ago that ministered, and in, in his ministry he said there's no lack of opportunity, opportunities on every hand to minister for the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring the salvation that humanity so uh, desperately needs. And these are the days of the fulfillments of the prophets. The prophets prophesied that the plowman would overtake the reaper and that the, that the uh, treader out of grapes would overtake the sower of seed. And so these are the days in which you and I live that these things are transpiring, the closing scenes of planet Earth as we know it. The unprecedented opportunities that we have, the doors for the gospel are open everywhere, and we're seeing tremendous opportunities open to us personally as a congregation on every hand. And it is no accident that at that very crisis time of time that there's a financial crunch on. That is no accident. That is no accident. Brother Steve this morning concluded his excellent series of prophecy. And he was talking, uh, uh, he said to some banker relatives, and they were saying, no, no danger. <laughs> i got news for you, friend. We are at the very brink of disaster. Just to give you a little seed, in 1974, when one of the, not major banks, but a, a bank with some, uh, some clout folded, we were at the very point in 1974 of domino collapse all across America. And if a bank like Bank of America and Chase Manhattan should happen to be overextended, how you do that is that some of your officers speculate on world currency unbeknownst to you. That's how that happens. You and I will not know the civilization we live in any longer. Just to give you food for thought, as I get into the message concerning financial crunch, we're just only $680 billion overdrawn in euro dollars. That's uh, quite a bit more than all of us put together made last year. That has increased since 1973 when I taught a course on economics from $60 billion. So when you read in the paper that there's a balance of payments, uh, and it's only $3.6 this month and $2.6 That's what that all means, friends. There's a financial crunch on in the world today, and we're seeing some of this, uh, but at that very moment, there also is unprecedented opportunities for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's, uh, it's very needful that you and I gain a perspective of all of this as the people of God. Can you say Amen. Luke chapter 12, I want to minister to you in comfort and instruction and direction and revelation from Luke chapter 12. Unprecedented opportunity, great doors open, tremendous moving of God's Spirit, financial crunch and throwing fear and, 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 uh, and money being tight on every hand. And so let's gain a balance. Luke chapter 12. Verses 13 through 34, I'll read verse 13, you read verse 14 to the conclusion of the chapter. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses.
And he felt within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And seek not you what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be you of doubtful mind. But rather seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. These are words of great instruction from the Lord Jesus that will help us gain perspective in the hour in which we live. I want you to consider with me, first of all, that money invested in the kingdom of God has an intrinsic value. That is, it is, a, is an abiding, residing value. It really means something, and it has its own self-worth, which speaks for itself. I can't say that for money that we do a lot of other things with. I had a, a great stock venture a number of years ago. I decided that to be successful in life, you needed some stock. So there was a salesman in the church that I was pastoring, and she talked me into buying and investing in the National Investors Life Insurance Company of Arizona. So I had $75 that we scraped together, and we made a bold venture and invested the whole shop in stock. Through the years, I think the, maf the mafia owns part of this company anyway, it has merged and remerged and merged and remerged. It finally wound up, and I got a notice from uh, the, the, uh, uh, the company that was named then that now my stock was in the Norton Corporation, and I had 1.39 shares, and they were going to pay me off if I wanted the 39 or if I wanted the whole shop. They'd pay me off. So I decided as a good investor, I'd just hang on to it, you know, and they can have the .39, but I'll keep the one. So they sent me a check, about a dollar and 73 cents. <laughs> Last year, I got a dividend, glory to God. Opened up the envelope, it's one of those dividend checks. Opened it up, and after investment of 14 years, I drew on my one share, 10 cents. <laughs> Boy, was I excited. At that rate, it will only take me about 7,500 years to get my initial investment back. Needless to say, I haven't invested in any more stock. So it is with many things in this world. Can you say amen? We live in a world where money, beloved, does not necessarily have an intrinsic value. It may have a value today, but that value to, is gone tomorrow. And this is true even if it's invested in material things. I was talking to the, one of the sisters recently, and she has a relative, and uh, they had some property that was very, very valuable. 
and they had an offer on it. It was negotiating to be sold. And they had a million-dollar offer. And they were so excited, they're going to be millionaires. And, oh, man, they were spinning it, and they were going to have vacations here and mansions there, and they were going to do all of this and all that. And suddenly, that property was condemned, and they were reduced from millionaires to non-millionaires overnight. See, we live in a world that... Our currency in this world is not necessarily of residual value and does not necessarily retain the intrinsic value that it began with. Can you say amen? Any of you that are old enough to handle some money, you understand that. It's here today and gone tomorrow, and you may invest in something today that uh, amounts to nothing tomorrow. You may make a fortune, and you may not make a fortune. You may have a fortune today, and that fortune by tomorrow is gone because the currencies of this world have a nature, and that nature is not intrinsic. But that which is invested in the kingdom of God this morning is of intrinsic value. It is stable. It has a resident value. It has a self-worth that does not change. Jesus said to the disciples these words from the Scripture, Provide yourselves bags which grow not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Now, he's picking up from their everyday life a vision of their life. In those days, all the men wore girdles. These were belts made out of cloth that were a sash that wrapped around them. And it served double purpose, not only held the robes together, but it also had a pocket in it that was your money belt. And in that pocket, you would put your treasure, your wealth, whatever it was that you wanted to carry with you, and you would carry it with you. He picks up from their daily life an illusion because this had no doubt happened many times. People over a period of time did not pay attention to the sash that they were wearing, to the money pocket, and they'd start out on a journey, but, uh, but uh, decay and the rotting of time and the degeneracy transpired. They started out with a bag full of money and they wound up with a bag full empty. And he picks that out of their life to illustrate to the disciples and also to us the transient nature of finances and material goods. In the Amplified Bible, he translates this verse, "...an unfailing and inexhaustible treasure in the heavens where no thief comes near and no moth destroys." See, in the kingdom of God... That which we invest in the kingdom of God has the quality of gaining a value the moment it goes into the kingdom of God, it becomes resident, it retains the initial value of the investment that we put there. Not only that, but the Bible says that there is a credit, so to speak, when we place our treasure in the kingdom of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. And, uh, and uh, that I'm stating that you can buy salvation, and I understand grace, I know what grace is, but there is, uh, when you and I obey God, uh, there is, as it were, a residual credit uh, that we retain with God uh, as it pertains uh, unto the provision of material realm that is gained when we are obedient and we place our treasure in the place that God says to place it. Psalm 37 is an interesting phrase that, uh, that uh, bears this out. It says, The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. In the kingdom, when you and I place our material resources in the place that God says we ought to place it, and our treasure is in heaven, there is an abiding and intrinsic value that gains for us a treasure that is in heaven, and it places to our account a credit. Proverbs 19 says, He that has pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he has given will he, the Lord, pay him again. Paul, in the book of Philippians, 
speaks of this morning an account. And he speaks of that account as being an account that you and I have with God. You and I have a financial account with God. That is an account that is recorded. That account is, as it were, a ledger sheet. That account, the Scripture leads us to believe, is to our divine credit, for the, some translators translate it, therefore, and some translators translate that a computation. And Paul says in 4.17, Because you have given for the work of the kingdom, I want you to know that placing your money in the kingdom of God has accrued to your divine credit, has caused a computation that will be to your account and is on the ledger sheets of God is in heaven. Now, they're forecasting in America recession. In this recession, I don't have any doubt that there's going to be some banks that are going to fail. You don't believe that? The people in the know find out where they're putting their money. Why do you think you see in the papers Krugerrands for sale? Why do you think you see on the world gold market? Uh, I think Friday the world price of gold was $315 and some cents an ounce. Man, I've got a gold watch. And I'm getting interested in peddling that dude and buying me a, 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 a block of apartments or something. Amen. That thing that a few years ago was a nice antique is suddenly of immense value. Why? Because, beloved, people who are involved in the financial systems of the world know and understand and the price of gold and old-fashioned silver coins are no longer existent except in somebody's dresser drawer because people are trying to find something that has residual value that regardless of what happens to the world's currencies, they can invest in these and retain the residual value of their original investment. My wife and I went into Australia last October and when we went and checked in, we bought Australian dollars for 119 American dollars uh, 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 per uh, 400. This is what this is what we had to pay for the for the money. We we bought Australian dollars. We paid 119 because the dollar market is fluctuating. When we checked out, we lost six dollars a hundred, which is no big deal, but it was a big deal. Six dollars a hundred is nothing to laugh at. That's six percent had already fluctuated, and we lost that much in 21 days of going in and coming out because this is what's happening to the currencies of the world and the money market because, beloved, the bags that we have in this world are bags that will wax old. They are bags that will fail. They have no residual value. They have no intrinsic worth. They are precarious at the very best. But God says what is placed in the kingdom of God will abide, and what we paid in, beloved, remains there. It's the exact worth we paid in because it has residual value and builds up a divine credit. Now, Jesus meant something when he was speaking these words. And what he meant was something that you and I need to take attention to what we invest in the kingdom of God has abiding intrinsic value. It has a self-worth that, that weathers the test of time. Secondly, I want you to see something else this morning. That is that money placed in the kingdom of God multiplies. See, there's some prophetic utterances in the word which I don't want to get into this morning, but they suddenly become very potent. Jesus touched on these when he spoke of the problems of hoarding. Where rust and moth does not corrupt and thieves do not break through nor steal. Now what happened to my stock was some thieves were on the board. My $75 went wherever they are. It's all on paper. Less interest, etc., etc. Matter of fact, it's worth right now, after 14 and a half years, it's worth about six bucks. If I could sell it and nobody wants to buy it, I'd try it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you still with me? There's some scriptures in the Old Testament and in the book of James, which we'll get to in a moment, that speak of a time when gold means nothing. 
I was reading in Time magazine the other day. If, if we're going to consider an investment that grows. In Time magazine it had a rundown of what's happening to us in that monster that works behind the scenes called inflation. People who have been building up retirement funds for a number of years, that in the last few years, their retirement funds have been so corroded by inflation that from the normal working class people, what they had in their retirement funds ten short years ago has depreciated 36%. And those who are in the executive class, 44%. So we're talking about something that is corroding or eating away, and you might be interested to know that that very word which is used in the Scripture, and it's repeated again in Matthew 6:19, where Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt. Is an interesting word. The word rust, is a word that means I eat. And in James, we get a very potent understanding of what that really means. James says these in James 5, Come now, you rich men. And this is a scripture that is set in the, in the, in the ending of the age in the second coming of Christ. Come now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are rusted, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days or in the last days. Now, this is a very interesting statement. For how can gold and silver rust? Anyone that knows gold and silver knows that gold and silver does not rust. It tarnishes, but its residual value does not change. It does not rust. Metals, on the other hand, do rust. Cheap metals, for instance, a piece of tin or a piece of iron. You can take a piece of iron and put it out in the weathers of the world and in the process of a few short years, go back to the place where that metal was buried, there'll be nothing remaining of that which once was a bulk save an orange stain. Now the prophecies are speaking of something happening in the world in which we live, and I fully believe it's talking about the age that we live in and what is transpiring in the present hour is that there are many people that are, are trusting in material wealth, many people who have disobeyed the word of the Lord, many people that are storing up treasure in the ending of the age, in the last day opportunity, in the last day harvest, and this prophecy comes against them and says, your gold and your silver is going to rust. What does that mean? That means there's coming a time when it's going to mean absolutely nothing, when it's going to disappear exactly like other useless metals that cannot stand the degeneration of time. And not only that, but he speaks another powerful prophecy, and he says, that happening is going to eat your flesh as fire. Now that's an interesting statement. Because what he's literally saying, he's taking an illusion moving from the physical to the spiritual, and what he's saying is that treasure that you have trusted in shall disappear, and it's going to be like a cancer eating the flesh from your bones, and it's going to cause a decay and a degeneracy in your flesh. Now what is he saying? He's saying that something is transpiring, coming to pass, wherein the wealth that you trusted in, hoarding together wealth in the last days, is going to disappear by the rust of the conditions of the hour. I eat the rust is going to cause that, but not only that, it's going to cause a spiritual decay in your spiritual man 
because you did not obey God, but you lived according to the appetites of your flesh and disobeyed God with the material substance he placed in your hand in the last days. Produce in your life, it could be translated literally, a cancerous disease that shall destroy you and shall consume you, and as a rust does, a piece of metal is going to consume your spiritual nature and your spiritual standing. He's speaking, I have no doubt, of financial collapse in the world and of inflation that will come in the ending of the last days and shall conclude the last rush of the insane of this world that have trusted in this world's goods rather than trusted in the kingdom of God and in the treasure places of heaven. Can you say amen? But on the other hand, the kingdom investor has confidence, and the Scripture says, a treasure in the heavens. See, where our investment is this morning determines the laws that are governing our returns. And if our trust is in the kingdom of God, and he says in this passage of Scripture, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To you and I who are investors in the kingdom of God and whose treasure is in the kingdom of God, there's a different set of laws governing our treasure and that's the laws in the kingdom, not the laws of America or the laws of Europe or the laws of world commerce. And there's a vastly different principle that governs our investment and our resources and that principle is kingdom principle and those kingdom principles are founded upon multipliers and upon the things that God's kingdom is founded on. Can you say amen? So the call then this morning as Jesus speaks to us from the Word is to transfer our goods into ministering currency because ministering currency multiplies and grows. If we invest our treasure in the things of this world, and God's not against you having a home, God's not against you having a job, God's not against you having a bank account, but God is against you saying that I am the possessor of these things and I will handle my material resources the way I want to handle it, and God has no claim upon what I have, then you are an investor in this world in the last days, and you are not open to what God wants to do in your life, and your treasure is not in heaven. See, this morning as we're gathered here, we have a desperate need to transfer our currency into ministering currency. If our investment is in the financial systems of this world, if our investment and our treasure is in the material resources of this world, we know what fate belies and what fate awaits those systems of currency. We have no doubt about that. But if our investment is in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of heaven, then we have a treasure in heaven and our resources are governed now by the laws of the kingdom of God. And if we have transferred our currency from the currency of this world into ministering currency, which is placed in God's system of economy, then it is a multiplying currency and not only does it retain the initial investment value, but it continues to grow as time moves on because you can't give anything away in the kingdom of God. There are laws at work that you cannot give anything away. Give and it shall be given unto you. We who are in the kingdom of God are governed by 30 and 60 and 100 fold principles that say to us that we cannot give anything away. Now, that does not mean that I'm going to take an offering, you put a dollar in, you're going to get 60 back. And I'm not trying to tell you that. But I am saying to you that when your heart is in tune with God and by faith, you will live your life abiding by the principles of Scripture that you have released a principle in your life which is a multiplying principle and God has ways of bringing that back to you as an individual. We need to transfer, beloved, this morning our currency into ministering currency, which is the currency...
Jesus looking back to the widow's mite. You read about it in the gospel. Here they are in the temple. Many who are wealthy are casting in much. There comes one poor widow, she casts in her mite, which in today's prices will be about two and a half cents. People have been casting in bags of gold. Jesus calls great attention to her and says, See this woman? She has cast in all her living. Do you see these that have cast in of their wealth? They cast in of their abundance. But this woman cast in all her living. What she did, beloved, was she put in the in heaven system of finance where in the transfer of, of currency there was ministering currency. And in that moment she had treasure. Can you say amen? We're already lost too. I know what their problem is. It's money this morning. If you leave, I know what your problem is. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But this is the Word of God. You read it, beloved. Christians don't like to hear this in 1979. Ooh, they don't like Oh, man, they get upset. And I hope you get upset enough to repent and hit the altar. See, when this widow put in, she put into the system of currency which is in heaven a treasure and Jesus points to this woman though her substance was not much and he said this woman has put in more in the moment that she released it to God that which was insignificant became treasure because my friend in the kingdom of God that which is placed in ministering currency becomes treasure that multiplies in Philippians, back to Philippians 4, Paul says these words, Our account multiplies by results in the kingdom. And he talks about fruit that may abound to your account. I want to read you this letter that I read Wednesday evening, and it's such a blessing to those in this body that have invested in the kingdom of God. It's from a pastor who has come back, and visited in one of our conferences, rather, who has come rather and visited our conference and wrote this letter back. And he knows about our ministry and is familiar with our ministry. And he writes this letter to encourage our hearts. He says, Dear Brother Wayman, Jesus is Lord. It's a pastor of the First Four Square Church in Wilton, North Carolina. I wanted to drop you a note and let you know that we are praying for you and to give you a report of victory in this area as an effect of your ministry. Three weeks ago, I was asked to come to this four-square church in Jacksonville, North Carolina, to help establish what God was doing. When I arrived, I found a sovereign move of God on that church and coming through the Marines station at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Their attendance had gone from 50 to around 110. Then I stayed in the home of Pete and Becky Farmer, who are out of Greg Johnson's pastorate in Yuma. Through the farmer's encouragement and prayers, this church has started a coffee house in downtown Sin City, the strip where the Marines go to sin in Jacksonville. God is at work. I thought maybe you'd like to know this good news and mention it to your people and Greg that they might hold it up in prayer that God would continue to bless and multiply. God bless you, dear brother. May the Lord continue to bless and abound in your life and the great ministry He has placed you in. You're a gift to the church, and I'm glad to see it. By God reigning. That letter was a testimony of this congregation and of their vision of investment and an encouragement to this assembly who invested in workers. And as they invested in workers, those workers became soul winners. As those workers became soul winners, they touched lives. Those lives now are fanning out in many places of the world. And this is one spark that landed in North Carolina. And a congregation was doubled in a short period of time by souls that were bowing to Jesus Christ. Because, beloved, currency placed in ministering currency multiplies in great proportion over that which is invested. You see, you and I need to understand uh, this principle, that the kingdom investor has a multiplying account. The moment you and I place what we have in obedience uh, in God's system of finance and economy, it becomes ministering currency, and the moment it becomes ministering currency, beloved, it becomes in God's sight treasure. What you have in this world, I don't care how comfortable you think you are. I don't care how, how much you think you have laid back for retirement. I want you to know it is not ministering currency. You could wake up tomorrow morning and find that you are penniless. 
But what you place in God's system of economy, beloved, is a system of economy that abides forever. And not only that, it multiplies. As it multiplies in reaching souls, as it multiplies in those souls becoming workers, pastors, congregation, then they release treasure in the kingdom of God. And the principle is a greatly multiplying principle. And every soul that you've invested in, in the ministry, that goes down through the years. My friend, you get a little dividend in the books of heaven for what you've invested in the ministering currency of eternity. In conclusion, I want to say this. That money invested in the kingdom releases the kingdom. Now, this is very important that you and I understand this. See, this is not a matter of raising money that is not here. If this morning I, I said to this congregation, okay, we're going to take offerings and, and uh, we need uh, some vast sum of money that we need. I know that that much money is not in this congregation. We have very few wealthy people. If you've, if you've made your fortune overnight and banked it, why... Thank God for that, but there's not many wealthy people here. So we're not talking about raising money that's not here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those that are of meager means placing money where it releases money. See, God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, all the silver and all the gold. If you're talking about the real facts belong to him. He has resources of everything that he has ever desired that you and I ever accomplish or that we ever do. So the kingdom truth is that the wealth that is needed for the kingdom is there. But we must release it. Now, I know this as a pastor. And you may have heard me preach and say that finances are no problem in the kingdom of God. God has all the money we need. What we need is workers. But... There is a corresponding truth that, that congregations must be preached to and the body of Christ must be ministered to to understand that that does not come automatically until they obey and release the treasure that is there by placing it where it releases what is there. Are you still with me? This is a principle that we must and that we need to understand that we release what is there by our actions. In the kingdom principles, release the kingdom. If we follow kingdom principles, then the kingdom is released and God can be God then and do what he wants to do. Jesus said, in the words that we read in the scripture this morning, these words, seek you the kingdom of God. And as a corresponding result, all these things shall be added unto you. Now, he talks there in that passage of Scripture about an inheritance. He talks in that passage of Scripture about food. He talks in that, in that Scripture about provision or income, which would be jobs. He talks about clothing, and this could correspond to anything we have need of. He's talking about that, and he says what releases that is you and I seeking firstly and foremost and above all things the kingdom of God. We seek the kingdom of God when we obey God and we place our money where we release the money that God has for the kingdom. There's a great percentage of people who profess to be Christians, and they are not Christians, who have never understood this. Christians are people who obey the word of God. These people do not understand that God means what he says and says what he means. One of the ways that you place money where it releases money is that you become a tither. T-I-T-H-E-R. What that means is that the ten cents of every dollar belongs to God. Then he belongs to you. He claims it. He has a claim to it. And it's there. Malachi 3 says, would a man rob God? Yes, there are people that would rob God. And then put on a very religious profession. But when preachers start preaching real hot and heavy about money, they usually make for the nearest exit. You're going to rob. Man, don't rob God. Go rob somebody on the street, but don't rob God. Man, you're dead if you rob God. Would a man rob God? 
Well, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. Then he says these tremendous words, Malachi 3, Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven, this gives us the illusion or the illustration of a vast reservoir where there is damned up blessing of God's releasing. And he says, if you will place money where I have told you to place it, then I then will open the floodgates of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you shall not be able to contain it. Your vines shall not cast their fruit. Your flocks will bring forth and you will be blessed. You see, placing money where... God says to place money is very important concerning the releasing of the kingdom of God. Now, he does not say, send all your tithe to Tulsa. Or Virginia, or Los Angeles, or where... He says, where you have been placed by God, your soul is fed, where your storehouse is, you bring it where your storehouse is, and prove me therewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if then that releasing of your soul will not release my spirit to accomplish what I want to release. It's very important that we understand, beloved, that placing... Finances in the kingdom of God is the key that releases the kingdom of God unto you and I. May God reveal this to us this morning and give us understanding. Here we have Elisha, 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44. It's there. You look it up after I get through. Just believe me, I'm preaching. Here is a man from Baal Shalisha. There's a famine in the land. But this man is a man that believes God. He's a man that wants to be faithful even in famine. The Scripture says that he is to bring his first fruits to God. He brings his first fruits unto Elijah, places the first fruits in his hand, and Elijah takes them, and as he, as he releases kingdom now by obedience, by placing uh, money where it ought to be, then uh, Elisha takes that and feeds a hundred men who are workers in the kingdom of God in a great miracle of multiplication that blessed that man's soul and blessed the kingdom because money was placed in the kingdom to release the kingdom. Here's the widow of Zarephath. There's a famine in the land. The prophet Elisha comes... And says to her, give me a drink of water. She obeys, brings him a drink of water. And he says, bring me something to eat. And she says to him, I don't have anything to eat. I've only got a little handful of meal. My son and I are starving. I'm going to go make a, make a cake out of that. We're going to eat that. And then we're going to die. And Elisha says, bring to God first. For thus saith the Lord, the barrel of meal shall not fail, neither the cruise of oil, until God bring rain upon the earth. And she obeyed, placed in the kingdom the material resources that put God first. And for 18 months she ate by a miracle of God's grace, because placing in the kingdom releases the kingdom. It's very important that you understand that what is placed in your hand, uh, you are not free to place anywhere that you have a, an itch to place or do with whatever that you have to do. But, beloved, uh, God places in the kingdom material resources uh, that are to be placed in the kingdom. Here's Elijah on Mount Carmel, a fact that that's not usually preached on concerning Mount Carmel. There's been a drought in the land for two years. Water is as scarce as gold. The sacrifice is placed upon the altars. The prophets of Baal have danced around, done all their charismatic goody on it. And then Elisha says, bring twelve barrels of water and add that to the sacrifice. Twelve barrels of water were precious. As a matter of fact, it may very well have been the difference between comfort and discomfort. 
It very well have could have been the difference between the thirst and the slaking of that thirst. But people aren't just carrying 12 barrels of water around in a drought just for exercise. This was a God thirst. This was a sacrifice recognizing, and it may very well have been that there was no more water. And I want you to know that they were quite a distance from water. They poured 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice, and the sacrifice fell, the fire fell, and this was the key, beloved, to the releasing of rain that broke the drought in prayer. You see, the kingdom this morning is released as you and I respond to kingdom of principles, and we place our financial and our material resources in the kingdom where God has ordained that it shall be placed. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed for a moment. No one moving around. No one looking around as we draw this to conclusion. In this building this morning, I have spoken concerning the kingdom of God, concerning the glory of, of God's grace and blessing. And in this building this morning, there are people, first of all, whose hearts are not right with God. I know that I have spoken concerning a subject, but in that subject there is an anointing and there is a conviction and there are people here that are lost and there are people here that are backslidden. Jesus loves you this morning. Jesus wants to lay His hand upon your life. The Lord wants to change your heart. The Lord wants to cleanse you from guilt and sin and change you into a brand new creature. And Christ died to save sinners. For this purpose Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you're a sinner this morning, you qualify. And I've been talking to some people this morning that are unsaved. Your heart's not right. You do not know God. You've never been born again. You don't know the real joy of having sins forgiven. As you're sitting here, there's backsliders here this morning, and you're away from God. You're disobedient and rebellious. And as you're sitting in this place this morning, your heart is, is throbbing with a, with a yearning, with a desire to know God and to feel clean and to be delivered from guilt. I wonder while we pause for a moment, how many just waiting here a moment, you'd lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me before you change the order of this service? I'm not saved. I'm a backslider. But, oh, I don't want to go out of this building uh, without knowing the Lord. Pray for me before you dismiss this service. Would you slip your hand up just for a moment while we're waiting all over this building? How many would there be? You're unsaved. You're backslidden. God loves you this morning. Jesus Christ came into the world to save you and make you whole all over the building this morning. Man, woman, boy, girl, older person. Hallelujah. Amen. All over the building, you'd like to lift your hand. Say, I need God. I'm backslidden. I've never been born again. But I'd like to know the Lord. Okay. Changing that appeal while our heads are bowed. There are people here this morning that are not tithers. You have not obeyed God in the command that the tenth is the Lord's and offerings besides. All Christians tithe. A lot of churchgoers do not tithe, but all Christians tithe. And they're blessed for it because they recognize that this is what releases to them God's full flow of continuing grace and mercy in the provision of the things of the material realm. I wonder why we're about paused just for a moment. Some of you are here that you're in financial difficulties because you have not tithed. Some of you are here that you're in spiritual difficulties because you have not tithed. I wonder before I change the order of the appeal, how many there would be just for a moment, right where you're sitting, between you and God, lift your hand and say, Pastor, I have not been a tither, but this morning I become a tither by this uplifted hand. God can count on me. I don't fully understand everything that you said, but I do want to obey God. I want to do everything he said. There's a hand over here. How many more? There's a hand over there. There's a hand over there. How many more? There's a hand back there. How many more with uplifted hands? I'm not a tither, but this morning I, I become a tither. That means that the tenth you begin to acknowledge belongs to God. How many more will join these? If you've just been saved, you need to begin tithing. And God will do a work in your heart and life and release you in things that you've been needing God to release you in. Would you lift your hand? How many more will join these many that have lifted their hands? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I'm not a tither, but I want to become a tither. See, this is your opportunity 
And while you're sitting here this morning, God's dealing with your heart in conviction. And don't, don't say to yourself, now I'm going to go home, and at home I'm going to kneel down by my bed, and I'm going to say to God, now God, I'm going to become a tither. God wants you to acknowledge the conviction that you feel now and honor the Holy Spirit that's dealing with you. And right now, get things right. Would you lift your hand? Amen. And join these. How many more will lift your hand? Say, Pastor, before God, I want to become a tither. I have not been a tither and I've not honored God. Maybe you've been a tither in some time past, but you're not a tither now. A tither means that you're tithing where you worship God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you send it to Africa, that you're helping your relatives to bail them out. It doesn't mean that you're buying some guitars to play in a gospel rock group. It doesn't mean that you're getting ready to buy a van and you're going to use that to transport people to church. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you're bringing into God as you worship God and putting into the place of ministry the tenth that belongs to God. How many more will lift your hand right where you are? Quickly before we change the order of the service. Amen. Amen. How many more? Join these in a moment's decision. You've hoarded together in the last days, Peter said. You'll eat your flesh as fire. I wonder this morning if you'd wake up tomorrow morning. And when you woke up and picked up your daily paper, if suddenly the headlines would blare out what we know as surely as we stand here this morning is coming to pass. Finance has collapsed. Money is no longer worth anything. I wonder how many misgivings you would have about what you had been investing in the kingdom of God. What if you were in Nicaragua yesterday when the notice was suddenly given that everyone with bills, financial work, had to report to the government, Marxist government, make a record of how much they had so that they could equalize out, which will be the end result of it, how many misgivings you would have about how much you had placed in the kingdom of God. Your gold and your silver is corrupted. The rest of them shall eat your flesh as fire. How much change would it make in how you are investing as a steward the things that God has placed in your hand? I wonder while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, maybe you are a tither this morning. I'm not talking about liquidation. I'm talking about God dealing with you about some of the circumstances of life that find you in. Resources that are at your disposal that really, you really do not need and could be placed in the intrinsic value of heaven to multiply and there to release the kingdom, principles, and riches to the kingdom. I wonder while heads are about how many more say, I'm a tither, I'm not, I'm not stealing from God, but I have not really been the steward that I ought to be, but God's speaking to me this morning, and I'll obey while I'm sitting here. Will you lift your hand and join these that have lifted theirs? Amen. I see hands lifted. How many more? Amen. How many more? How many more? How many more? Amen. Hands are being lifted everywhere in this building. Amen. Hands are being lifted everywhere in this building. How many more? Join these that have lifted theirs. All over this building. God bless you. God bless you. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I've given several different kinds of appeals. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I want those that lifted your hand, whatever there may have been, been the thing that God has given you, I want you to get right out of your seat and find a place to pray right here at this altar. Quickly, while I'm, I'm talking. While our heads are bowed, come quickly right now. God's dealing with you. God's spoken to you. You raised your hand for one of several needs. Just get out of your seats and come and kneel right here at these altars. Let God have his way in your heart and in your life. Quickly, God's dealing with you. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but God's dealing with you this morning. I want you to come and